Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. ついに電柱において木物を取って焼いて火に向かう。陰樹たまたま見て、かしゃくしていわく。何ぞ我が木物を焼くことを終えたある。し、つを持って火を測っていわく。我焼いてシャリを取る。しいわく。Entangling Vines, Case 44 Tanka burns a Buddha image. Once, when Zen Master Tanka Tenen was staying at the temple Eirinji in the capital on a very cold day, he took a wooden Buddha image from the Buddha hall, set it on fire, and warmed himself by the flames. The temple supervisor happened to see this and scolded Tanka, saying, How can you burn my wooden Buddha? Tanka stirred the ashes with his staff and said, I am burning it to get the holy relics. The supervisor replied, how could there be relics in the wooden Buddha? If there are no relics, Tanka answered, then please give me the two attendant images to burn too. Later, the supervisor's eyebrows fell out. Welcome to what? This, this wonderful day in our session here, this wonderful day on the mountain that is showing us the first glimpses of red buds coming out of the bare branches of the trees. Yesterday, snow and silence, sitting outside the day before, the snow just brushing over in the wind. That's all we have to hear. That's all we have to experience. Everything that I will say today will pollute this experience. So from the very beginning, you have my sincere apologies. It's really interesting how things work out. This is the Holy Day session. And we heard about it already in the opening words from Shingeroshi. Jishin Zen, he spoke a little bit about it. And yesterday, Hokuto Sensei, holy, holy, holy. Holy what? Cannoli? Moli? And which koan comes up? Of course, a koan where a monk burns a Buddha statue. I felt like this, well, I have won the koan lottery. Uh, <laughs> this is like the jackpot. What else could we ask for? This is the best instruction we could have in this holy day session. Because if we are just stuck to the word or any kind of imagination what holy means. Then we're in the right place because we have to do the work to get ourselves unstuck. Before I begin talking about this case, well, I'm also glad that we're not outside because 
I'm sitting at the highest point in the room now, and I'm sure lightning would strike during the talk if there is anybody listening who, who has the power to dispense that kind of lightning. I know many people who would like to, so please feel free if you... <laughs> Let's, and then I was bathing the little Buddha there, and I felt so bad for him, you know, because he's... It's wonderful to be bathed, but doesn't know yet that this monk in China is going to burn him later. So water and fire meet the Buddha right here, right in this holy day session. All right. Tanka Tenen. This is the name of the monk we are talking about today. We do not know exactly when he was born, but it must have been somewhere about 738 or 739 of the Common Era. And so he was a student of Baso Doizu. We don't know where he was born, says one source. Another source says, oh, he was born here and here. And the third source says, oh, yeah, he, no, no, he was born there. We know he was born. <laughs> we know he had a family name, which we don't know really what it was. When he grew up, he had a friend that we know, one of his contemporaries. Uh, his name was Ho, or in Chinese, the layman Pang, was a friend of this young monk here, before he was a monk. They actually both were trying to become government officials. And the layman actually became a government official and made quite a career. And he also became a Zen person, a wonderful example of what so many of us are doing here. And not only that, but where the future or the, the present of this practice lies. We have to find this place of our lives, of this practice that really that it is one. There's no sense in coming here for a spiritual vacation, for stepping out into a compartment that we then leave behind when we come back into what we call our daily lives. This is the teaching that we want to find here. It's not taking it with us as a little souvenir. Well, there is a gift shop, but that you can't buy there. It is about grasping that understanding that this is it, as we heard yesterday. Bodhidharma couldn't have said it any clearer. So this Hokoji, Layman Pang, was going to take his exams, and this young person who later became Tanka Tenen went with him. They went to, of course, where they take the examinations, which is in a local capital. And they went there, and on the way, they ran into a Zen monk. They came into conversation, and finally the Zen monk asked them, well, how can becoming an official compare with becoming a Buddha? And that was like introducing some kind of spiritual virus into the mind of these two young men. And the monk said, well, you should go and meet this teacher, Baso Doitsu. He's a really wonderful teacher. And so they decided, well, the exam can wait. Let's go and let's see Baso. It worked out for Hokoji. Baso took him on as a student. And to Tanka, he said, well, you go and see Sekito Kisen. 
already seeing that this Basudoitsu was his teacher. And my teacher says, go to that teacher. I will do it. The young man went to Sekito's monastery on Mount Nansen. And he worked there as a laborer for several years. Same here at Daibosatsu Zendo. Some of us come here and participate as a bodhisattva in the running of this place, of this session, of this practice. Again, there is no compartment here. One doesn't, ha- one doesn't have to wear robes to be a bodhisattva. A body is just enough. And the heart that opens up when we are here just naturally by giving ourselves fully away. And that's what he did. He worked for several years as a manual laborer. Manual labor. Actualization of body and mind. And finally, he became ordained. How did he get his name? Tennen. Tennen. There's a, there, that's a term I think that's also used in colloquial Japanese. Tennen. Yeah? You know it? Can you tell us what it means? Tennen. It's ten. And hard to explain, but it means natural. Natural. Spontaneously. Just, just yeah, we call it a natural. So, how did he get this name? Because he came to Mount Nansen. And one story says, when he became a monk, Sekito was shaving his head. And as he shaved it, the crown of his head was exposed. And Sekito was kind of amazed by it. And he said, oh, how natural. (laughs) Maybe he looked like Master Rinzai here in this picture who has also quite a crown on his head. It's, so he, that's how Tanka said, well, that should be my name then. This is one version of the story. I was wondering when I read that, how would it be if everybody here shaved their heads? We would discover so many new things about each other <laughs> that are well hidden behind all kinds of uh, anything from short low pile rugs to uh, <laughs> shags, let's say. Some up here, some also in the face all over the place. It would be interesting to see that. It, I, I, it is a, an experience to do it for the first time. And most people remember the first time they shaved their head. Togan, do you remember? Yeah. When I decided to stop going to the barber anymore. I'm not going to pay for this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It is an amazing experience. First, it's really smooth and wonderful. But then, after the shortest of time, you realize how Velcro was discovered. <laughs> and if, you're, if you lived in a, in a Zen center where your clothes you wear for a long time, so they wear thin, it's actually enough that when you put your undershirt or your T-shirt on, you pull it over your head, that it rips it into pieces. Hair is destructive. Who would have known that? So, and at first it's very cold. It's very cold without hair. But one gets used to it. That coolness and the equanimity that comes with it that lets hot tempers evaporate through one's skull comes in handy. 
So that's how Tankatenen got his name spontaneously. Another account says that Tanka returned after three years to see Basso Doizu again. And he came in the hall, and they must have a, a very, very large statue of Manjushri. We have a good-sized statue of Manjushri here on the Butsudan, riding the lion. And according to this tale, what did Tanka do? Well, he mounted the lion. He was like sitting behind Banjushri on the lion. Like on a motorcycle, <laughs> you know? Maybe he even held him like this and let's, let's go. <laughs> the monks didn't like that. They did not like that. They ran, they ran to fetch the abbot. You got to see this. You, you got to see this. It's outrageous. It's blasphemy. Desecration of Manjushri. And Basso came and he saw him sitting on there and he said, How natural. <laughs> and that's how he got his name in story number two. Either one is a fine story. It's a fine story. But what it really made Basso already utter at that time is, yeah, my son, he said, is just a natural. And Sekito, he, he said, this young student will end up smashing shrines and images. And as we know, in case 44, his words became true with the burning of this Buddha statue. Tanka became a successor of Sekito. And went on pilgrimage, of course, as it was in those times, Angya. And on this pilgrimage, he visited many students. He walked with his layman friend, Papang, Ho Koji, and many of the interactions between them are recorded in the sayings and the life of, of this Ho Koji. He became a wonderful poet. His poetry is cited in the Rinzai Roku and, and many of the works of, of Zen Buddhism in China. His angya lasted a little longer than he thought. He settled down at the tender age of 81 and a temple was built for him at the mountain in Hunan that had red earth, vermilion earth, and it was a mountain so there, there, sometimes the haze came up. And tanka means Red earth with a million colored haze. Tan and ka like Kasumi. Beautiful name after the place. And there he taught. Over 300 monks assembled. It's already interesting to know that he still trained them in some kind of form or shape even though he burnt that image. It's getting interesting now. And after a couple of years, one day he got up and said to his monks, well, I'm going on pilgrimage again. By that time he was probably 85. And he put on his hat, the straw sandals, he picked up his staff, and before his foot touched the ground, he died. What a way to go, huh? That's the real pilgrimage that we all are on. We'll meet Tanka. 
So his poetry, let me give you some taste of the poetry of Tanka after giving you some opportunity to move. Well, well, well. There are no poems. There are no poems on this sheet, you know. Tanka must have burnt them. <laughs> no, here's one. This shore or that shore, both miss it. No egoism is not in the midst. Sun sets under the western mount, yet its shade remains in the east. He said to his monks, and he actually addressed us here today in this session. All of you here must take care of this practice place. The things in this place were not made or named by you. Have they not been given to us as offerings? When I studied with Master Sekito, he told me that I must personally protect these things. There is no need for further discussion. Each of you, each of us here, has a place to put our cushions down and sit. Why do you suspect you need something else? Is Zen something you can explain? Is an awakened being something you can become? I don't want to hear a single word about Buddhism. So how is it then that we are still here and not down at the gatehouse and then we are I'm out of here? Why can't I eat with fork and knife? Why do I have to fight with mashed potatoes and chopsticks. <laughs> what kind of torture is that? Because I really, I really want to have those mashed potatoes right in here and not just one bowl, if possible, give me more. But these damn chopsticks, it's just so difficult. Why do we have to bow here and follow the signals? get up at a specific time. I want to sleep in. Well, there must be something to it because we are all here still. But at the same time, we have to learn that skillful practices as such are just that. So Tanka said to his students, all of you look and see. Skillful practices and the boundless, boundless mind of kindness, compassion, joy, and non-attachment, these things aren't received from some place else. Not an inch of these things can be grasped do you still want to go seeking after something? Don't go using some sacred scriptures to look for emptiness. The same is true for Zazen or anything that we do here. What is it then? if it's not the form, if it's not the words that we hear. We see what is skillful over time, 
and we can experience it when we chant, for example. So if we chant like to have the same life in it when we say it in English. All the harmful karma ever committed by me since of old was by my beginningless greed, anger, and born of my body, mouth, and thought, I now confess and purify it all. The life that is in there, the quality of the being here and Realizing all of this. That is the blood of this lineage, of this lineage, blood that never ends flowing. Sometimes, well, it might be easier to do it in a foreign language, but it's just easier because we are so attached to meaning. No matter what you chant, this is reality. This is it. This is the whole world, all that exists. There is no alternative reality. That's just a thought. It's just this very manifestation to which we can give our full lives and feel how fortunate we are. At this moment, human beings in another part of this world are killed, shot at, raped, attacked, all because of this Greed, anger, and folly. It might feel like another reality. But what can we do? Shall we stand by and let it happen? Or can we really come to the point that we can say yes I am responsible. Well, we might not have shot the gun or committed the atrocity. But as human beings, we all partake in that human stain, as it's sometimes called. And when we start cleaning up, you know, There is the broom. There is the entrance to the house that we call ours. And if we are lucky, there are pebbles and bamboo. You made such a wonderful sound yesterday, Hokuto Sensei. <laughs> so I'm going to sweep.
So here, our case. Tanka burning a Buddha statue. It's so famous, iconoclastic. Ah, Zen, it even burns the Buddha statues. And it made it into art. There are many wonderful paintings, drawings about Tanka burning the Buddha. My favorite one is the one from Sengai Gibbon. And it has a poem with it. It says, intense, frigid, cold winds need fuel for the hearth. Called as burning a Buddha, your eyebrows and beard will be singed off. And it's a wonderful drawing where you see Tanka standing there. There is the Buddha. And it is not polite at all. Does anyone know what a fundoshi is? You, you ex anyone want to explain what the fundoshi is? <laughs> it's the traditional underwear, you know, for men that you wear around here and then you just pull it through. That means uh, the two shores of, of this, uh, what you call your rear end, are uncovered. There's just a little strip in between. And in that picture, of course, Tanka is lifting up his robe and his skirt, and you just see the fundoshi in the middle and uh, the full moon exposed to the Buddha and the fire. So it gives him just this additional uh, uh, spicy taste that makes it really nice to look at. The eyebrows and the beard will be singed off. That is something that we hear quite often. It means when you preach, when you talk, the teachings that are not true teachings, your eyebrows will fall out. They will burn off or whatever. Yeah. I'm waiting for it to happen. <laughs> so... What do you think about all of this? What do you think about all of this? Does it matter? These old forms, are they old? That's the question. When are they old? When are they stale? They are stale and old when we fill them with our own ideas or we measure them up against this or that. Or we even think that they are great. Whatever we add to it, not necessary. Tanka Tenen said to his students, these days students of spirituality are busy with the latest ideas practicing various meditations and asking about the way. I don't have any way for you to practice here. And there isn't any doctrine to be confirmed. Just eat and drink. Everyone can do that. Don't hold on to doubt. It's the same every place. Here we prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of the Buddha. And Tanka had to say something about that too. Just recognize that Shakyamuni Buddha was a regular old fellow. You must see for yourself. Don't spend your life trying to win some competitive trophy, blindly misleading other blind people, all of you marching right into hell, struggling in duality. 
I have nothing more to say. Take care. Very straightforward. When he was cold, he took the wooden Buddha. He put it to the fire. He lifted his skirt and he roasted his rear end. The character for that roasting is the same, yaki, like in yakitori. <laughs> Roasted Buddha. In fact, it wasn't the Buddha who was roasted, he was burned. It was his rear end that was roasting. And of course, that is an image. We have to burn the Buddha. The light comes out, the warmth of the fire, to help warm up that what has become cold through our own fixation on ideas, through our own looking just at ourselves, in whatever way that may be. It might be a fixation of warm nature, it might be a fixation of a cold nature, or mixed, everyday different. I hate myself. Oh, I'm so great today. And, and back and forth. That is the burning of the Buddha. And that's what we do in Zazen. You feel cold. Well, burn your ideas of what Buddhism is. Burn your ideas of what Zazen is supposed to do. And it has to burn really, really hot. When something just smolders, you know, and is a little wet, you get a lot of smoke. You start coughing. Ah, that's not for me. It seems sometimes that this practice is something that is not related to passion at all. But this is something that we have to do passionately by giving ourselves, giving ourselves fully, it doesn't say anything else than living passionately. When? When the knee hurts. When it's cold, when it's dark, when we are tired, when we feel great. Any moment. That is the passion the heat that comes from that burning of the Buddha. To demonstrate that there is just a teaching and what happens to people who attach to the teaching, the character of the head monk is introduced. Oh, you're burning my Buddha! And then he starts stoking around there in the ashes. What is he doing now? According to the legends, when you burn the corpse of a sacred person, the sharida remain. That's some almost gem-like things that stay behind, that you sift out of the ashes. And even the head monk knew. What are you looking for? It was a wooden image of a Buddha. But he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. Even when Tanka says to him, well, if there are no relics in here, <laughs> then bring me some more, I'm still cold. the relics. 
I know there was a wonderful traveling exhibition of the relics that also made it to Syracuse. And I think some of us who are here saw them. My first experience with the relics of the Buddha happened in, in a Buddhist uh, meditation center that we had rented for a session in, in, the, in the southern part of, of Germany. And it, it was a Theravada place. And there was a famous teacher there, a lady, who founded it. And my first uh, Zen teacher, uh, Seyun Genro Osho, he brought the Sanghas of, from Vienna and the various places in Germany together to have Sashin there. And when I think back, it's quite interesting how things have changed, even in the Buddhist uh, places nowadays. First of all, the meditation room was on the top floor. A healthy person could barely go there without being out of breath. The kitchen was on the ground floor. Usually in their practice, they eat in a dining room at tables, but we ate in the zendo. So the servers, the handaikan, they came up <laughs> as they were serving. <laughs> and we were really lucky that the session actually happened because when we arrived, Genro Osho said to me, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the altar. It's kind of cluttered. Can you please just make sure you take some of it away? Hi. <laughs> and I looked at it all. Yes, a lot of stuff is, there's a lot of stuff. What is this? <laughs> what is that? But anyway, we, we, we proceeded with the utmost respect. Everything we picked up and put wrapped it and put it away in a box. And then it ended up looking like a Zen, Zendo alt altar basically, with very little things on it. But then about an hour later, it was like something terrible had happened. Oh my God, they touched the relics. I'm so sorry. We touched the relics. And it escalated to the point that they were ready to just throw us out. We'll give you your money back. You leave now. But Genro was very adept at speaking to the teacher, apologizing profusely and we could stay and we had the session however it came with a string attached and that was that the teacher was going this this uh, theravada person was going to listen to all the dharma talks and she did she sat in the back and gendra would give his zen talk wah, 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 wah. and yeah <laughs> Interesting. To me came the question, well, where are the real relics here? The real relics that are not the relics of the Buddha, but the relics of our own personality that we drag into judging all of these, uh, everything. It's quite something. And it is so subtle. It's not just the truth and 
awakeness is subtle and mysterious, like in the character Myo. Also those Bonno and the, and the Shiki, the Klesas and the other karmic condition, they're so, so mysteriously elusive. And one comes to the realization that, well, here we sit and we look forward to the birth of Shakyamuni Buddha. Yet at the same time, we have to not just learn what he taught, but we have to do what he did which is quite different. Recently I reread the original German version of Siddhartha, Hermann Hesse. If you haven't read it in a while, go read it. Most folks think it is just a book but if you look a little deeper into it, you will see that the first part of his Indische Dichtung, that's what it's called, in, uh, yeah, from, uh, the first part is dedicated to his wife. And the second part, which starts after he meets Gotama, is dedicated to his cousin in Japan. His cousin in Japan was Wilhelm Gundert, was his name. And he was the first person in the last century to translate the Hekigano Roku into German. He was never able to finish it. It's really a wonderful translation. So the influence of that family is palpable. And Tankar, with his behavior here, and us looking forward to the birth of the Buddha, we can bring this together to realize that we don't want to follow any ideas of whatever kind in a way of repetition or adherence. If we just adhere to the rules, if we just sit down when the bell rings and don't move, we are just engaging in some kind of more sophisticated, maybe more benign kind of illusionary activity that is the activity of a follower, but not of a follower of the way. Why did the Buddha come up with his teachings? Yeah, he had to. He didn't even want to speak at first. He didn't want to speak because he knew nothing can be said. But then, just like Tanka said, Skillful practices and the boundless mind of kindness, compassion, joy, and non-attachment. These things aren't received from some place else. Not an inch of these things can be grasped. They cannot be transmitted. They cannot be extracted. They can only be actualized. When? When are you going to start to live? No, after Sishin, I'm gonna. No. Isn't it time to start living now? Some compassionate teachers who came before us, Shingeroshi, who is here, Edo Roshi, Joshu Roshi, 
Gempodoshi, all of them back to Siddhartha. Just embodied that very kernel of you got to live it and not wait for it to come to you. The fire is burning. The Buddha is diminishing. Will we just let it contribute to global warming? Sit back. Have another one. Or are we going to live? That is the question. Though one mind through many years can't be found from nude, take off your skin, nothing to be bound. See the blue sky, it is like a mirror. Many miles have no cloud, but moon is round. Let's go, let's burn us some Buddhas. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.